Welcome to the panel discussion, Government on the Edge, Protecting and Securing Communications, sponsored by BlackBerry. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Susanna Schiller, the Acting Chief Information Officer at the National Institute of Standards and Technology in the Commerce Department, Vincent Sertipan, a Portfolio Manager at the Homeland Security Department's Science and Technology Directorate, Colonel Pete Wilson, the CIO G6 for the Army National Guard, George Battistelli, the Cybersecurity Program Manager for the Army National Guard, and Brian Palma, the President and COO of BlackBerry. Welcome to the discussion. Thank you. Let me set some context for our conversation today. Little gets done in the federal government, or any organization for that matter, without the ability to have confidence in your communications. This is especially true during emergencies, such as natural disasters, but the phone may be the only, as the phone may be the only thing that's working. But it's not just during emergencies, as more and more agencies move to voice over IP and other technologies like instant messaging or texting, that those depend on the cloud and security, making sure secure communications uh, are even more important. Market research from Dell Tech reported in 2017 that overall federal spending on voice over IP equipment, virtual desktop infrastructure, unified communications, and messaging capabilities is averaging at least $24.3 million per year between 2014 and 2016. Dell Tech says these numbers may actually be a little bit conservative, given how agencies are bundling these voice and communications capabilities with other cloud offerings. And as agencies spend more money on empl and employees depend more on mobile devices, security of those communications must be at the forefront. But the government also recognizes the need to balance security with usability. This is why DHS is working on research around end-to-end -end phone call encryption. I'm sure that's something Vincent may touch upon later on in our panel. At the same time, it's interesting to learn that NIST hasn't updated its special publication to secure VoIP or voice over IP since 2005. So there may be a few things that need to be, have changed since then. And the need for secure communications is expanding more than just phones and VoIP as the growth of virtual assistants like Google Home or Amazon Alexa continues. By some estimates, one in six Americans own this type of device. So think about what this means as you're a federal employee at home talking on your secure device, but Alexa or Google Home picks up your conversation. That opens up a whole new range of security risks. Addressing these challenges, like most things, require a combination of technology, training, and awareness. And once again, this is where our panel comes in. Once again, my guests are Susanna Schiller, the Acting CIO at the National Institute of Standards and Technology at Commerce, Vincent Sertipan, a Portfolio Manager at the Homeland Security Department's Science and Technology Directorate, Colonel Pete Wilson, the CIO G6 for the Army National Guard, George Battistelli, the Cybersecurity Program Manager for the Army National Guard, and Brian Palma, the President and Chief Operating Officer for BlackBerry. So let me start at the beginning. We, I gave you some, some broad range of different cyber, different mobile, brought all together, but let's just start with the cybersecurity of the broad. And let me turn to George, since you, you get the title of uh, Cybersecurity Program Manager. When you talk about cybersecurity and as it relates to mobility, but even broader, what is the Army National Guard really looking at? What's your strategy? So Jason, thanks for that question. Um, you know, we are in a 24-7 connected environment, and so, you know, the, the strategy has changed over the years as we've had a, a more and more connected environment. And so for us at the Army National Guard, it's really about total asset visibility, right? We want to know exactly what we have, and we want to implement a continuous monitoring strategy that gives us the ability to, to monitor all the assets that we have as well. Um, what that does for the Army National Guard is a reduction in the attack surface. Um, we continue to to move with the, the Army in a, a strategic convergence to, uh, I'm sure you've heard about the, the one network, um, and that's what the Army National Guard is doing as well. As we start to identify our assets, we move towards the, the one network and the network convergence to really get this reduction in attack surface. When you talk about continuous monitoring, you can talk about 24-7 connected environment. Are, are we looking at okay, who has what is it, and, and where are they, and how is it pinging back to the network, or is this more of, when you, because again, you're talking about attack surface. Yes. What, what is it more of an app-based look? So or, um, or <laughs> it's a it's a total asset visibility, and what that means is that we're going to look at what your security posture is, right? So when you connect to the network, we want to know um, whether it's your your mobile device, whether it's your laptop, whether it's an always connected workstation. We want to know what your security posture is. How is that device hardened? Um, you know, are you up to date with current antivirus patches, etc.? And that gives us a baseline to start from and figure out. Um, what you're actually bringing to the environment. Colonel Wilson, I know uh, you, you work closely with George. Why don't you step back from the 50,000 foot view a little bit, because since you're the CIO G6, where is, when, when you hear George describe the cyber strategy, what does that mean for you? Because you also have to worry about mission and you also have to worry about the back office stuff. There's a whole lot more that are on your plate. No, absolutely. And uh, I think people continue to be the weakest link. So we have to be, you know, uh, 
we have to do continuous training for our workforce. And uh, I think the, the, uh, we're fortunate now that more and more people are aware of the cyber threat. And so uh, what we do with the Army National Guard is ensure that, uh, that, our, that our workforce is trained and that we put the proper safeguards in place to um, try and mitigate any human error that might take place. Which is probably the hardest thing to do because <laughs> you, you can tell the technology what to do, but telling the humans what to do sometimes. Uh, Absolutely. Maybe the Army's a little easier but for the rest of us. Uh, Brian from uh, uh, BlackBerry, what are you guys seeing? Because I mean, obviously BlackBerry, one of the, the key things that BlackBerry does, and as you guys have been known for, is this, the security of the device, the security of the, of the communications. What are you seeing from clients? What, what, what's, what's happening in the, the broader market, whether federal or private sector? Yeah, I, I think the first thing that's really important is we've made that pivot, right? So we used to be a consumer uh, phone company. We're, we're not anymore, right? We're a cybersecurity company focused on enterprise and large organizations, uh, the federal government as well. I think, you know, one of the things that George hit on was this attack surface. The place we're really looking is, is the Internet of Things. You know, I think Gartner says there's going to be 25 billion devices by 2021, growing at about 32% uh, compounded annual growth, right? That's where our focus is, those IoT devices and protecting them, using our 35 years of history across security and communications to help our uh, customers and clients really move quicker uh, to adoption of those devices. From, from what you're seeing from clients, so what's the overall theme? Do they get the fact that, that cybersecurity is the strategy versus, oh, let me just secure my mobile device and put a password in or, or whatever they're yeah, doing Yeah, I think now. there's a move to, to be broader. Um, I think that's always a challenge to take a broader view for all of the customers. I think what we're seeing is some areas, and you mentioned the area of voice is really important right now. We'll, we'll talk about a little bit about that later. But uh, I think we're seeing them move to a more of a holistic view of cybersecurity than they have in the past. And I think that that's a key point, the holistic view. I mean, so much of cybersecurity has been the endpoint, or, or the, the old put the moat around the, the castle and hopefully people can't cross the moat. So, Susanna, you, you from a NIST perspective, and, and you, you worry about the day-to-day the -day operations of NIST versus what we all kind of tend to think about NIST, which is the research and the education and the special publications. So from your perspective, what's, when you talk about your cybersecurity strategy, talk about how that fits in, obviously, with mobility as well. Think of cybersecurity from the perspective of managing risk, and do we have the controls in place that will allow us to do our mission, which overall is a fairly open mission, um, working with a lot of um, people across the world, and, and protecting things. And to do that, in addition to risk management, we're focusing on um, defense in depth. Um, where we have different layers of security from the, the moat around the castle, um, the, the traditional firewalls and intrusion detection, to having the um, network segmented, to um, having things encrypted, both data in transit and data at rest, to making sure that the assets on the network are appropriately configured, um, as George had mentioned, and appropriately patched to training the users on what is appropriate behavior, everything from you know, how do you secure that password appropriately, having two-factor authentication in place. So it's not um, a one-size-fits-all kind of thing, and it's not a one-solution-fits-all for um, do you, securing it. Do you find that because of NIST's mission, which is you work with outside researchers, you're working with people mm -hmm. in government, you're working with academic, that does that change your approach to your cyber strategy, whether it's mobile or not mobile devices? Absolutely. Um, we have a lot of need to communicate openly, to share the research. Most of the work that we do is destined for the public. It's not stuff that needs to be secured for confidentiality, even while we're doing the work. Um, our scientists are really smart folks. They use a lot of IT in their actual research. and. They need to be able to do that as creatively as possible while still being in an environment that is protected. And that takes um, a lot of flexibility. The beauty of the NIST standards, which our Information Technology Laboratory has developed with lots and lots of public input, is that they are flexible. They are designed to be tailored based on the risk that you are concerned about. Vincent, let me bring you into the conversation. You wear multiple hats. You, uh, when I commented on the, the research that DHS s and is doing around 
the encryption of phones. I think that, that was an article that you were, you were quoted in in a speech you gave, I think, at Black Hat back in, over the summer. And at the same time, you also do a lot of work now for DHS headquarters as well, as well as the new cybersecurity infrastructure security agency. So talk a little bit about from both the R&D perspective, but also now the, the mission perspective, how cybersecurity strategy and mobility, the mobile, mobile devices have kind of come together for, from a strategy perspective. Yeah, so um, I have a lot of hats, I will say, um, but but I, I will mention, you know, in, in various roles, I, I am noticing across the federal government uh, board, you're, you're seeing that, you know, different CIOs, uh, various departments and agencies are really getting it today. Um, before, if you look back uh, far enough, you see that we had a device, uh, we looked at just uh, MDM or EMM, Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. It's really around device configuration and policy enforcement, and that was it. That's, that's pretty much where it stopped. Um, and we've progressed since then um, significantly, I would say. Things, whether you're talking about, you know, looking at other technologies, when you're talking about PIV drive credentials, where you're talking about um, application security, as we look at that part in mobile threat defense, um, various technologies are being put in place, including things like FISMA, right? So in FY18, you could look at the FISMA CIO metrics. You can thank our team for that, um, that we worked uh, as, a, as a group. Um, it's a collective effort, right, across departments and agencies where you actually saw mobile assets actually being called out specifically, looking at do you actually manage those? And even in FY2020, we plan as a group uh, to work those across the federal space. Um, in an old group, we used to be called uh, the Mobile Technology Tiger Team. Um, so uh, co-chaired by DOD, NIST, GSA, um, very much so. So uh, that, that's just my spiel for, you know, cross-federal government sort of trends and strategies. For DHS in particular, and, and how we're looking at this from both S&T Hat and others, um, we have a program, S&T, uh, looking at things like uh, mobile device security, mobile application security, and the next piece being mobile network infrastructure, right? So what's going over the wire, uh, both data and voice. Uh, those are aspects in which uh, we understand uh, the th both the threat and the need for secure uh, capabilities on security technologies to enable our mission. Uh, easy example for CISA, as an example, I, I supported their efforts for GovCar, if you're familiar with that. It's the Government uh, Cybersecurity Architecture Review. In SPIN 5, specifically for mobile, especially if you're a federal department agency, reach out, we can give you the FOUO essentially report, right? But um, the, the gist is it's based on a cyber threat framework, uh, originally developed by NSA, it's a tool for DOD. Uh, we take that same model uh, and applied it specifically looking at, um, in this case, mobile cybersecurity architecture review and identified as a result um, that very much a comprehensive solution based on the threat, um, a security solution, uh, really enables you to have that you know, comprehensive protection. So things like EMM, things like mobile threat defense and mobile app vetting, and then looking at voice data, those are things that are on the roadmap, right? Um, very much the trend is that we're getting it and you're seeing uh, people adopt more and more mobile security technologies. Let me open up this panel, maybe, maybe even start with George a little bit, since what we heard is, is this re-look at, at how to protect networks, how to protect data, and specifically the, the mobility pieces, as, as Vincent talked about, became, has become much more front and center. Army National Guard depends on your ability to do secure communications. If you need to help out at, at, during a disaster or other event, you got to be able to talk. How does that change the way you guys are, are really focused on not just cyber, but, but ensuring the secure communications? The, the growth of mobile, the growth of, for instance, um, you know, all the different technologies that, that now are part of that. Um, so it really goes back to the, the interconnected environment and protecting our interconnected environment. Um, if you look at cybersecurity across the, the realm here, it hasn't really changed that much, right? So some of the... Um, some of the attacks have changed, but the delivery mechanism is still the same, right? You still have the human at the other end, they're clicking on the phishing email. Um, they still think that they are sending something off to uh, their cousin, um, you know, that they've never met before and in a different country that's going to Western Union them money back. <laughs> um, so it, it continues to be the, the same attack mechanisms. And so what we try to do is we try to make sure that our, our um, personnel are, are properly trained. Uh, we try to make sure that from a DOD standard that we have the right encryption technologies in place, uh, that we have given the, the soldiers the, the right training to use the right equipment. Um, and I think Colonel Wilson can probably expound on that one a little bit more. Sure, Colonel Wilson. Well, I'm just thinking back to World War II when you had the posters that said, uh, you know, don't talk about it, don't, don't post it kind of stuff. Now it's don't post it and uh, it's the, it's the uh, operational security mindset and uh, George already kind of hit on that. Uh, so. 
that that's the most important thing we can do for for our military and uh, and we are we are including some of the newer technologies and we have to do that uh, very uh, safely uh, even an incident a few years ago with uh, being able to see where forward deployed uh, military were in uh, in operational areas with their Fitbits and things on right so it's all a training and a culture in which Nowadays, you don't go into a lot of areas with the smart watches on, you know, and, and just teaching folks that uh, smart TVs have the, have the ability to, to uh, also do things, you know, that you're not aware of and, and, and all the other technologies that are out there. So it's all about training and letting, uh, letting our workforce know that, uh, that I think uh, technologies are, 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 is, a, uh, is an enabler, but we also have to know how to use it properly and protect our information. Brian. Yeah, and I would, I would just build on that. Our customers are outside of the DOD, and obviously as you go from the high security environments down, voice is, is really critical. And what we're finding is that it's very easy with the technological advances today to be able to intercept voice with equipment that's less than $1,000. So protecting that voice communication extends beyond the DOD, even in enterprises that are, that are maybe talking about sensitive topics and they don't want that being picked up. That's a, that's a great point. It's one actually we're going to take a break on because we can pick back up on our next segment. You're listening to the panel discussion, Government on the Edge, Protecting and Securing Communications on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Cell phone conversations are being hacked every day in Washington, D.C. Recent reports acknowledged numerous rogue cell towers are in use in the area. Sensitive government information is at risk. BlackBerry SecuSuite provides NIAF-certified secure voice calls on standard iOS and Android phones. BlackBerry protects your communications by fully encrypting voice calls to and from anywhere in the world. BlackBerry SecuSuite, built for national security. Learn more at BlackBerry.com gov. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Government on the Edge, Protecting and Securing Communications on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Susanna Schiller, the Acting Chief Information Officer at the National Institute of Standards and Technology in the Commerce Department, Vincent Sertipan, a Portfolio Manager at the Homeland Security Department's Science and Technology Directorate, Colonel Pete Wilson, the CIO G6 for the Army National Guard, George Battistilli, the Cybersecurity Program Manager for the Army National Guard, and Brian Palma, the President and Chief Operating Officer for BlackBerry. At the end of the last segment, uh, Brian brought up a, an interesting point, this idea of, of understanding the, the security risks and, and the, the growing risks around phone communications and, and beyond phone, the data that comes back and forth off the phones. Uh, let me turn to Vincent on this one to start with. This is kind of one of those areas where I think, as you mentioned, agencies were very happy to do MDMs or EMMs but they weren't necessarily worried about some of the other pieces and parts of it. With CDM, Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program, and some other uh, efforts, I think that's starting to change? Yeah, so, so broadly speaking, as you mentioned, it, it is very much has been about the integrity of the device, uh, protecting the applications, and then looking at the data, right? Um, but as we move towards things like Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation, program, you, you think about what is protecting the .gov network, right? What is actually residing on the network? So having hardware software asset management, that's great. Knowing what you have and how to protect that, that's the first step. Um, as we progressively look at this challenge um, and, and worry about things like secure voice and, and just secure communications in general, um, we, we very much care about the data, but where is it going, right? How are we encrypting it? How, when, when do we not need to? Um, and we have those types of concerns in the department, things where you look at uh, law enforcement sensitive data. Um, but very much when it's data in the form of, you know, an email or a document or a file, that's very much, we, we've known how to do that. We know how to do that today. Um, we have various networks for that. Um, when we talk about voice and others, I think that's a, a, under, a challenge we understand, but there are uh, some difficulties and challenges around that and sort of opportunities too. So when you think about it in the sense of, you know, well, great, I can do point-to-point -point encryption uh, for voice, but I have to think about interoperability from landline to cell phone. I have to think about what are my auditing and records management requirements associated to that. So I think we're going to get there eventually. Uh, and in, in some cases, when it's very sensitive, law enforcement sensitive, in the case of DHS's mission, uh, we are already looking in those aspects and working in that areas. Um, but very much so, you know, what about everybody else when we have CUI voice data that we have to protect, right? Those are pieces where I think progressively the departments and agencies will go towards. And I want to bring up the part of, uh, from the beginning when I mentioned the uh, research that DHS s is doing. 
well, on the end-to-end -end encryption. Was there any update you were able to give us on that? Yeah. Is that just still in the <laughs> early yeah. phases? No, no, no. So yes, very much so. Um, I will say we are looking, uh, so S&T, DHS S&T, supports CISA directly, uh, Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. Uh, one of our uh, new topics and areas that, are, that we're working on uh, to come out in a couple months uh, or maybe next month is uh, security and resiliency of mobile network infrastructure. Um, everything from uh, the network itself uh, that you're worried about, uh, Wi-Fi, cellular, and the whole nine yards, to things like, well, what about uh, mobile network traffic uh, management and visibility for the enterprise? And that includes voice. So if I do a CUI to you know, voice call, um, we want to protect that, right? And so um, we've looked at the landscape. There are some places and some pieces that work interoperability, um, but you have the challenges of who keeps the keys. What happens if the other end isn't, isn't secure? Um, and what do, I, what do I do with like, things when you're thinking about uh, auditability and records management? Um, those are pieces where we will have a, a new uh, research area theme around uh, coming up. Um, and very much, you know, look out for it on FedBizOps. Excellent. So we're talking about a broad agency announcement, hopefully, or something yeah. to that effect. Brian, jump in here because I want you to just react to something that Vincent said, where we do a good job of data and email and documents and files, but we don't necessarily do a good job of understanding the voice side. Why, why when you talk to your customers, why don't you think they understand that voice side? Yeah, I mean, I think like Vincent said, a lot of customers are starting to mature their voice strategy, but for a long time that's been overlooked. And we talked earlier about the importance of the endpoint and protecting the endpoint. Vincent mentioned UEM and EMM. I think for a long time, voice has been, has been overlooked. We're seeing more and more customers. I can think of one. Um, you know, large federal government agency. And while they're interested in protecting the classified information, they're also interested in protecting the unclassified information. And there's a lot more of that. And we're working with them to design a voice architecture and then make sure that that voice is encrypted so that it can't be uh, intercepted um, by folks that would want to obviously uh, do bad things. So that's right. a piece of the puzzle. But we're seeing, we're seeing more and more interest in voice, and we're seeing, and obviously it's strategic as well, as we move into what we call smart speakers, we're seeing those devices more so now coming into enterprises, not as much uh, in the public sector, uh, but we believe that will happen over time as well. Hey, hey Jason, if I could jump in here real quick. There's a, there's a point that Vincent made that I think we need to, to hit on again, and, and that's the, the whole piece about we understand how to secure the, the endpoints, right? And we understand how to secure and, and sit at the, the point of entry and the point of demarcation um, on our border security. One of the things that, that we haven't really matured in is how we secure voice, right? Um, it's the old adage of loose, link, loose lips sink ships. Um, people can say whatever they want on the, on the phone, um, whether they're in a classified or an unclassified environment. And I think that's one of the areas where um, you know, federal government and, and uh, you know, industry alike, we need to make sure that we are mature at that because how do you monitor that piece and how do you get after that piece? And, and the challenges you brought up continuous monitoring a couple of times is I want to be able to call my wife or call my friend and not have to worry about was my boss listening, listening, we'll use that in quotes, right? But at the same time, well, it's, if I'm using my government phone or if I'm giving my office phone, well, I, don't, I really shouldn't assume any privacy. So that's another piece to this is, is finding that balance as well. I'm not sure. Brian, jump in. Yeah, and then the other piece that's really important is folks want to use, as you said, the phones that they use every day. They want to use Android, they want to use iOS, they want to use those platforms. So it's really important that we have solutions that are both secure, but also allows the user experience that everybody's used to today. Yeah. Colonel Wilson. Yeah, I think uh, tactically, at the tactical edge, the military, the Army, my opinion is uh, that, uh, that we're doing a good job. It's the complacency we have sometimes in being in our offices and, uh, and we sometimes forget, and we're not quite as vigilant. So those are the, the areas I think we're really looking at today. When you talk about the tactical environment, let's maybe dig a little deeper there. Is, is the difference that it's life and death many times in a tactical environment? And, and in the office, it's like, oh, I'm just calling Colonel Wilson to have lunch. What's the big deal? I mean, is, is, that, the, is that the mindset difference? The mindset, I think, is, is when you're in a tactical environment, you're placed there, and it's much different than your daily life, as you explained. So in the tactical environment, you already know you're talking on a, usually a green piece of equipment for the <laughs> Army. You know that there's a complex uh, algorithm you just put into the radio to make sure that it can only talk to the network, and uh, you know there's all these safeguards in place, and you've been trained to do it over and over and over again. When you go back to your office, and like everybody's pointed out, I pick up my phone and I'm just going to call my wife. Or I'm going to talk to somebody because it's the phone on my desk. And I'm talking about operational things that aren't necessarily classified, but they're still perhaps not things we should be talking about as freely as we do. 
and it is a training part and there is a security part that we that I think we need to address right now Susanna you're the outlier in this entire conversation NIST is tactical but in a much different way you're very strategic in a much different way you have to find that right balance because again you want the scientists and, and the researchers and the people in this to be able to do their jobs but in a safe and secure way how much are you thinking about voice and, and should you be thinking more about voice uh, talk, talk to me a little bit so so where we've thought about it a little bit differently is in the collaboration space so you know NIST scientists are collaborating with people around the world that's what they do and they want to use all of the new tools that are out there um, for collaboration. Um, all of the different, you know, Skype for Business in Microsoft, um, regular Skype, um, FaceTime, all, all of the different products that are out there. And the question is, what is appropriate to use even in an environment where things are fairly open? And so we've been introducing a, a process where they want to use collaboration tools, but they can't just go pick their favorite product to use. Um, we need to do some degree of security assessment of those tools. Now, not at the classified level of security assessment, but is there enough protection for um, low sensitivity data? Is there enough protection for moderate sensitivity data or moderate sensitivity conversations. Um, and so we actually have established a process where you know, they, they identify a collaboration tool that they want to use. It needs to come to us in the CIO's office to do an assessment um, of those controls. And part of what comes out of that assessment is what kind of rules of behavior do they need to adhere to um, in order to use the, the tool. Um, there's a lot of focus on specific use cases and how they plan to use it and giving them that training that applies. We've actually gone one step farther than that um, recently where we have tried to delegate some of the authority for making these decisions out to our organizational units so that it's not bottlenecked in my office because there are so many tools that they want to use and so many opportunities for this. And so now if, if they are really confident that it's a low sensitivity kind of use case, then we allow them to do the assessment and make the decision themselves. How much of this is, is voice versus data versus like a, a, a thing like Slack where you're just kind of going back and forth or in a group text? It's, it's a combination yeah. of things. Many, many of these collaboration tools include both voice and data. Because I can imagine we all feel like going back to what Vincent said earlier, well, if I'm just you know, on, on Teams or Slack or whatever you use, mm -hmm. that's got to be secure, but you have to, not right. Necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Uh, and, and then the other piece that I just want to maybe open up to the to the um, group is is Susanna talked about low and moderate, but you guys in the army deal with high uh, in terms of the security of the data and, and the information. Vincent, from your perspective, you get the entire spectrum of of low, medium, and high. So maybe um, I don't know, Vincent, you want to start off with this finding that right balance between the low, medium, high, and, and ensuring what needs really to be protected and what doesn't in, in, yeah, in, so, in that broad so I, I sense. I mean, in general, right, uh, you know, class, classification of data and sort of determining if it's uh, low, medium, moderate, or, or high, and, or classified, I mean, that's based on the data sensitivity. We can't say, oh, I want more moderate data or, or I want more high data. It doesn't work that way. You just change the, we, yeah, the yeah, no, that, that, That's yeah. less important today. No, no, but, but adhering to and working through sort of the policies and best practices that enable those things. Um, you see us sit in, in things like um, Committee for National Security Systems, the Mobile and Wireless Security Working Group. Uh, we, we try to help enable that working with the IC community. Um, you see us, you know, in things where, where we're talking about FISMA going forward, right? We, we try to sit and give input to that. Um, you know, the CISA and OMB working with across the federal departments, but also under the Fed CIO Council, our group, you know, uh, co-chaired across the board and also with that membership, we try to bring people collectively who own and operate mobile programs um, trying to serve their various missions and get their input. So. I don't know if it's the, I can choose the type of data I protect, uh, but it's more of, you know, can we implement or influence uh, the policy, the standards to really enable us to, to do it right and secure, but also make sure we meet our mission. And one thing that stands out is we talk a lot about the, the securing apps or securing 
the device, but it's not really the communications that's being secured. Does that come up at CN CNSS or even the, the CIO Council stuff? Um, the the communicate meaning the voice or, or yeah, the texting so or on the class side, it's a lot easier because there's rules in place. You just you follow them. Done. Uh, uh, it, it's more of the now we're bringing into various use cases and how does that impact us? You, you think of the Straza app um, that that was out there. Um, and, and the, those types of incidents, right? And maybe a policy changes what those implications are. But for the most part, I mean, we're we're pushing uh, to imp to implement you know appropriate policies and standards in place. I mean, even in the case of like NIST 800-124, like we're working uh, collaboratively and we'll be one of the authors. Um, but but the idea here is, you know, voice is a little harder, right? Voices in in especially in a sort of a back office environment um, where it's more you know lax in that case. Um, but you also have to think about sort of the the sensitivity and the the, the value of that data, right? It's it's sensitive and, and it's high, moderate, low, but only for a certain period of time. If I'm out in operations in the field, you get a tactical scenario. Well, it might be really, really high at that point in time. After that's over, right? That we've already completed the mission. Well, then guess what? The the sensitivity of the data may have dropped. Right? It changes the value of the data changes over time. Brian, you want to jump in? Yeah, I was just, I mean, I think the big, and, and Colonel Wilson mentioned earlier with the devices, watches, and the consumerization of IT has changed this game, right? And it also then makes uh, organizations have to look at how do they manage, you were talking about the different level types of data. Well, there's a cost component to that too, right? So how do they do that efficiently and get the right amount of protection for the right level of classification? I think that's important. And, and then the final piece is that consumerization piece, it's the usability. Right, all of us have been trained now to have a certain level of user experience, and you know our mission is to try to help right each of these agencies be able to get that same level of usability, but also protect their data. I think that's what all the agencies that we're talking to are really looking for. And that's a great point because one of the things that the, I know the DoD has really struggled with is how to get their classified in that same usability. You remember the uh, SMEPED? The, the brick phone that, that they were so excited they had and they someone finally realized, I think we can do this a little better. The classified versus unclassified world, and the classified world, is, as Vincent said, uh, the DoD and others, Intel community has, seems to have it down, but how do you take those same ideas and put them in the unclassified world or, or what, how, to, how, to, how to bring the two together? I don't know, George or Colonel Wilson? George? I, I can certainly take that. I, I think one of the, the challenges that we have, especially as, as Vincent said, is that Technology goes faster than policy, right? And so everyone is working on policy documentation, um, but the, the technology continues to evolve and continues to go faster. Also, our senior leaders, even though they're in a, a what could be considered a high environment, they still want all the toys, toys they have when they go home. So they want to have their tablets. They want to have the ability to do um, you know video chats and, and everything else. And our job is to make sure that it's secure while also telling them sometimes why they can or cannot have their tools. And so um, certainly in a classified environment, um, some of the things that, that we do can be done, but they have to be secured a little bit differently. And then, you know, as we go to the unclass environment, we still have to make sure that we're securing the overall enterprise and making sure that we are mitigating any of the vulnerability points. Is there been a move or some discussion yet from, and from in, in, the, in at least the Army's world? Okay, how can we take a little bit from the classified world and bring it in the unclass world to, to secure whether it's voice or video or data? Can we beg, borrow, steal from it yet, or is it still such separate worlds in, in many ways? So uh, they're very different worlds at this point, um, and, and and I think you know that that should be the case. You know, and that's that's kind of how I it is. I think more the tools or the techniques, or or Vincent, maybe you have a. So, so the, you know, the whole push for commercial solutions for classified, right, and that component list. Even when we work in various areas, best practice and standards, um, and policy, we actually still point to it because if it's good enough for classified. It's sure as hell good enough for the unclass side, right? Um, and so being able to, to borrow from that and the push, again, commercial solutions for classes, meaning a COT solution that I can configure, uh, you know, work with other solutions, actually uh, architect that and make it work for the classified side is really where we are going, where we are partly today and where we're going. All right, actually we're gonna, we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna jump back in. Uh, Lot, lot to talk about, but uh, you're listening to the panel discussion, Government on the Edge, Protecting and Securing Communications, on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Cell phone conversations are being hacked every day in Washington, D.C. 
Recent reports acknowledged numerous rogue cell towers are in use in the area. Sensitive government information is at risk. BlackBerry SecuSuite provides NIAF certified secure voice calls on standard iOS and Android phones. BlackBerry protects your communications by fully encrypting voice calls to and from anywhere in the world. BlackBerry SecuSuite, built for national security. Learn more at blackberry.com gov. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Government on the Edge, Protecting and Securing Communications on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Susanna Schiller, the acting CIO at the National Institute of Standards and Technology in the Commerce Department. Vincent Sertipan, a portfolio manager at the Homeland Security Department's Science and Technology Directorate. Colonel Pete Wilson, the CIO G6 for the Army National Guard. George Battistilli, the Cybersecurity Program Manager for the Army National Guard. And Brian Palma, the President and Chief Operating Officer for BlackBerry. At the very end of this segment, uh, Vincent brought up this idea of commercial solutions if they're classified. If they're good enough for classified, they, they sure is good enough for, for unclassified. And, and unfortunately, I had to both cut off both Colonel Wilson and Brian. So let me start with Colonel Wilson. Uh, what about the commercial solutions for classified and, and what does that mean for you guys from, from not just a security perspective, but a usability and, and, and privacy and all the other pieces? Yeah, for usability, I think we're really trying to incorporate new technologies, but we have to evolve our risk tolerance, tolerance levels, uh, you know, and the processes to, to uh, be able to make better use of the collaboration tools that are very available. And I think that's something that we're trying to work through right now. And, and, and when you talk about risk tolerance, is, is there's different risks, right? Some general has, I'm, I'm good to go, let's use it. And, and, and poor George here is like, whoa, but sir, how do you as a CIO balance those risks? I mean, absolutely. You manage I, up and manage down. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I rely on uh, good, good uh, folks like George, you know, and, and uh, we, we try and take a, a, a good look at it to see if it, if it really is a vulnerability. And if it's a vulnerability, then we tell leadership hey, this, we can't use this and this is why. And usually they're very accepting of it, they understand. But if we can mitigate that vulnerability, we can, we can figure out a way in which we can uh, use it, then we do, we try and incorporate it. And it's through uh, commercial technology and innovation that we are often able to bring some of these new tools to the uh, federal government, to the military, it's great. As we talked about, sometimes it's an iPad, but maybe it doesn't have the camera or the Bluetooth turned on, but they can still get a lot of the functionality as, as one benefit. Uh, Brian, jump in, because the commercial solutions, that's where you guys play. Yeah. That's, yeah. Your, that's, your, that's your hot spot, so yeah. to speak. I, I mean, I think, I think in the last year, we've really seen an uptick, and, and Vincent talked about it with the commercial solutions for classified, you know, from folks like Colonel Wilson, CIOs that are interested in, in really get, getting to be part of the innovation and do use the latest things in the market. So that's been positive for us. We've been in there trying to help solve some of those problems. I think they really range. We talked a lot about voice today, uh, also messaging, right? The other big one for us is um, we've done a lot of work around mass notification. So being able to notify large groups of employees across different environments, that's a place where the commercial side is leading the way. And those solutions are being consumed within DHS, within DOD. Uh, so there's, it, it's pretty, um, there's a lot of components to this. I think the next frontier we see coming, I mentioned it earlier, is around smart speakers or home assistants coming into the enterprise. We're seeing that happen over on the commercial sector right now with customers. We're doing a number of POCs. And typically that, that curve is about three to five years till it comes over to the public sector. But we're seeing that happen a lot quicker. We're really seeing it happen more, um, Jason, in about one to three years. It's fascinating you, you see that same curve there because a totally different topic, yeah. but I see that with robotics process automation as an example. I know we can spend a whole panel on that, but that's another one where it, the commercial picked it up and then all of a sudden the feds picked up much more quickly. Um, let, let me go over to Susanna as well because we've talked a lot about classified, you know, commercial for classified. You guys aren't classified for the most part, I imagine, or 99.9% .9 of it, but you still have worries about commercial solutions. Maybe talk about how you guys find, again, the balance of usability versus security. Sure, so um, we certainly have, uh, every, everybody wants to use those smart devices that are attached to their hip 24-7. And we also provide um, centrally supported mobile devices for our staff. And what we've done is said, you know, if you're connecting to the NIST network, then you need to be using a NIST managed device. Uh, we don't allow personally owned devices to connect. Um, our centrally managed devices do have the appropriate configurations on them. They are patched in a regular way. They are monitored. Um, appropriately. 
and um, that's the restriction that we've put on things. But at least our, our folks are able to use the commercial devices. Now, you brought up the, the idea that you guys work with scientists. They, they know their IT sometimes. They do. Uh, do, do they, under, like, like generals sometimes, do they understand why you have maybe some certain parameters? Yes. Yes, um, hopefully. We, 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 you know, one, one of the advantages of being at NIST, where the Information Technology Laboratory is setting these standards, is our whole management chain understands security better than, I think, your, your average management chain. And we have great support for cybersecurity at an operational level from the top. Um, as A security culture is something that is embedded in NIST. And I think that's a great point because sometimes you, you fall into this. Uh, I've heard from other uh, agencies who deal with scientists, and it's not always as easy. Brian, yeah, jump we, in. We'd love to help those scientists bring some of those personal <laughs> devices in. So just let us know. Let yeah, us know if we, can, if we can help. Well, they, they all would love to. And one of the other interesting challenges is we have scientists who do research using those devices where they're actually looking at the characteristics of them. And so we have to allow some flexibility in our policies to accommodate those uses. And a lot of this, I mean, our discussion today has really been about that usability versus security balance. And, and that actually comes to a great segue to something that Brian's brought up a couple of times is the smart speaker, the next generation of that. And, and I want to have that conversation because, Colonel Wilson, you brought up earlier about the Fitbit issue and you guys have put a policy out to take care of it. But that doesn't mean that the civilian agencies have really thought about it. Uh, Brian, maybe start there with what, what is the big risks about the you know, Google Home and Amazon Alexa and others similar to that, that maybe people just aren't getting their head around quite yet? Yeah, I mean, I think if you think about those devices and they're on and they're listening and they're very advanced in speech recognition, if they're on in different places, if folks bring those into the office environment, um, they can have an effect that compromises information. What we've been, we've been working with a large multinational insurance company, though, because they want to get the benefit of those voice assistant devices within conference rooms and for meetings and other reasons. Uh, and there are ways to design those devices as an endpoint that's protected, uh, that's managed, so you can securely use it. And, and one of the ways we do that is by turning off some of those features and making sure you understand when is it monitoring, when isn't it, what type of an environment is it in. So early on, uh, innovation in that, but more and more demand again, from our, from our commercial clients. And you're thinking that eventually it's, this is going to come to the feds as well. I mean, you see the AI and the machine learning of like robotic automation, I mentioned that, but, but you, you, are you seeing some these yeah. initial questions from feds? Yeah, so obviously recently we just made an acquisition of Silence, right, a leader in artificial intelligence and machine learning. We see those two worlds coming together with voice, and you can imagine how you might use a device here, right, in the studio. Right? To be able to be more efficient and to be able to work with that voice assistant, it's a great thing and people understand that. There was one thing earlier on that, could robots write a story? And we believe they can't, so, so don't worry. We got it, not yet. <laughs> not, not ever, come on. Uh, Vincent, let me bring you into the conversation as well because as we talk about the smart speakers and we talk about uh, this idea of, of the security risks, is that something that DHS, whether from SNT perspectives or CISA, whichever hat you're wearing right now, are you guys starting to, is that starting to bubble up as something you guys need to look at either today or maybe in the near future? Yeah, so so voice in general and, and the security of that, that is, a, that is a concern, especially when you think about law enforcement sensitivity and our missions. Um, but when you think about it on even as a mission enabler, right, using voice to enable the mission, um, that usually happens through some other endpoint, though. So um, we have sort of taken it from, I wouldn't say from the ground up, but understanding, you know, knowing what you have, you know, hardware, software, asset management, and then bringing it to that voice aspect. So um, we'll get there. We're getting there, I'd say that, and both with whether it's in the department or outside. Um, but understanding that the, the data sensitivities, you know, high, medium, low, uh, classified, following those policies and rules and making policies and, and, and best practices that actually can, can meet the need. Um, those are pieces in which we're, we're looking to address. You brought up also your work with both the, the CNSS, but also the CIO Council. Is a lot of the CIO Council work, is any of that also starting to kind of bleed into this idea of the, the, the Google Home and, and Alexa, or, or not quite there yet? So I think it's more, not as much on voice, more towards like sensor systems, uh, to be honest. So can you, like IoT and others, and how we can use that for smart cities. Um, so you're, you're going to get, like, because everything's through a, a mobile app, a mobile, uh, some kind of protocol, and a mobile device back to, to the enterprise. Um, so so we're, I don't think voice, it, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's overlooked. Um, it's, it's looked at, and as you can see in some tactical environments, it is very much uh, taken care of. 
um, in on the sort of back office and, and various use cases. Um, those pieces are being looked at, um, but it's not necessarily one of our strategic thrusts that I've seen so far. All right, something to maybe follow up with. Uh, I want to take the conversation back maybe to almost the beginning where, where I think, George, you brought up the idea of workforce and training and, and awareness. One of the things you guys at the National Guard have to balance is you have people who come and spend a short amount of time or sometimes a longer amount of time with you and then go back to their private lives and they kind of have feet in both sides. And, and in their private lives, they're able to use whatever they want. But then they have to rethink what they're doing in the, with the National Guard. How, what, what's the approach you guys are using for training awareness uh, when it comes to uh, you know, soldiers and, and, and civilians? Um, so I, I think Colonel Wilson's probably best postured to, to answer that one. Well, I think uh, part of the richness of the benefit of the Army National Guard is you have the uh, you have the citizen soldier that's able to to uh, during the week work at a, a corporation or and, and do a job and then come and, and also become a member of the service uh, and that it often uh, I think in general uh, sometimes industry is leading in in awareness in some of those areas and their training so some of our best uh, IT professionals in the Army National Guard work in the IT field in big companies in the United States during their week uh, job. So they're very well trained. And, and even for uh, someone that does something non-IT related, the training that we give, uh, whether it's for someone that works in the military full-time or is part-time, they're still getting that training. And I think it, it carries over to what, whatever they do on a daily basis. It's very, very, I'd say very beneficial to get the, the richness that you get from being a, a citizen soldier. Do you get a sense that a lot of times because they do IT work in their, in their if you will, day job, that that, that, that type of thinking is, is an easy move into the, when they get into the National Guard uniform? I, I think, oh, sorry. No, I was going to say that's, that's, the, that's the, it's an easy transition, if you will. Very easy, and I think actually they bring such innovation that they're using in their, uh, their daily lives into the, their military uh, training and uh, the expertise we get is just so unparalleled because you'll have someone working for a huge IT company coming in and, and literally showing us the newest <laughs> ways in which to secure our networks. It's, it's just absolutely great. Excellent. Susanna, jump in. So, so I want to take sort of a different tack on that. You know, in the, in the federal government, um, certainly in the Department of Commerce, we require at least one hour of annual security awareness training for all of our users. A, little, a whole hour. A whole hour. Okay, right. And, you know, one way to deliver that is those delightful online training tools that you're leafing through PowerPoint slides, and everybody, I'm sure, is enthusiastic about their opportunity to do that every year. We've taken a different tack, one that is, is not exclusive, but um, allows people to do something that's much more interesting but, and also much more relevant. So for the past 20 years, we've had an annual IT security day. And it is an entire day in our auditoriums where we have three to four different big auditorium speakers talking about current topics in security. And so, of course, those have evolved. Um, in fact, I'm thinking that we're going to have a topic on Alexa and Google Home <laughs> probably coming up this, this year on that. Um, and we also have some smaller talks that are on more NIST-specific kinds of things. Um, they might be about new things that we're implementing, new services that we'll be providing that will make um, their work lives more secure, but also um, more um, user-friendly. Um, and, and we've been doing that for 20 years. Now, of course, if you can't make it to IT Security Day, you still have the opportunity of taking your training in another way. Um, we also focus, of course, on specialized training for um, people with specialized cybersecurity roles. And those could be your IT security officers, your um, authorizing officials, your system owners, et cetera. Um, and we also offer ad hoc training if um, a particular organization wants to have a training that's focused for users. But um, we're very big on awareness in a way that is interesting and useful. Many of the topics are relevant in their personal lives as well as for their work. Vincent, jump in. So I can say, at least from a user perspective, whether it's my Navy Reserve duty or DHS, uh, definitely I do love the PowerPoint, uh, partly. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, no, seriously, in all seriousness, um, I will say that I've seen it go from PowerPoint to more interactive, you know, web-based learning. And to see that not only the, the web-based interactive is, is 
is actually interesting, but the storyline has changed. Um, before, when you did cybersecurity training and awareness programs, um, I didn't even see a mobile device, if you go back three, four years ago. Now you actually see the mobile paradigm actually being brought in. They steal your device, uh, where you, what you can talk about, where you can talk about sort of data sensitivities. Um, so actually, it, it's great. Uh, it's, it's, and it's, it's a lot longer than an hour for us <laughs> on a lot of fronts. But, but definitely, um, just as a user perspective, I will tell you, uh, it's progressed, and, and I'm very appreciative of it. And Brian, you get the actually you get the last word. So, so sum us up from a workforce perspective, yeah. from an awareness perspective. Yeah, so I think I'll go back to where where you started a little bit, which is you know the supply demand curve is really out of whack when it comes to cybersecurity jobs, as you know, right? Over two million person shortage, and that shortage continues to grow. It's not getting better. I think you know what we try to do is partner with our um, with our customers on the federal side, but all of our customers just don't have enough resources. Right, to go after this problem. So I think one of the main charges for all of us in the industry is to find a way to use public policy to do a better job of creating the talent that we need to be able to go out and, and solve these problems. So that's, that's really where we are. And we get called in a lot of times to help. Um, and I think the more we can do there, the effects that's going to have throughout the industry. All right, excellent. Well, this has been, this has been a fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, we're out of time. So let me thank my guests for today. Susanna Schiller, the Acting Chief Information Officer at the National Institute of Standards and Technology in the Commerce Department. Vincent Sertipan, a Portfolio Manager at the Homeland Security Department's Science and Technology Directorate. Colonel Pete Wilson, the CIO G6 for the Army National Guard. George Battistilli, the Cybersecurity Program Manager for the Army National Guard. And Brian Palma, the President and Chief Operating Officer for BlackBerry. Thank you so much for taking the time today. You've been listening to the panel discussion, Government on the Edge, Protecting and Securing Communications on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I've been your host, Jason Miller. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search BlackBerry. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, Government on the Edge, Protecting and Securing Communications, sponsored by BlackBerry on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Cell phone conversations are being hacked every day in Washington, D.C. Recent reports acknowledged numerous rogue cell towers are in use in the area. Sensitive government information is at risk. BlackBerry SecuSuite provides NIAF-certified secure voice calls on standard iOS and Android phones. BlackBerry protects your communications by fully encrypting voice calls to and from anywhere in the world. BlackBerry SecuSuite, built for national security. Learn more at blackberry.com gov.